first episode of Playing Plunk. Um, we're your hosts. I'm Aaron Michael Smith. I'm Georg Kaudehilmason. We're so happy to have you here <laughs> with listening to us. Uh, Georg, you want to introduce what we're going to be talking about for this first episode? Yeah, I mean, I'll guess we start kind of in the deep end. Uh, this is a piece called Weiss Weisslich uh, by Peter Applinger. series right so it's, it's yeah it's the number four mm-hmm. of them uh, how many are there okay so it's a series of pieces um that started in 1980 and i guess he capped it off in 1999 so he stopped numbering them in 1999 mm-hmm. with, with number 36 and then there are like four or five since then um, that don't have a number after that. Yeah, and I mean, like like 31 has like A, B, C, D, E, F. Right. So, I mean, there are just, there are many. I think really a good place to start uh, if you, you know, already are curious about uh, who he is, is just go to his website. His website is really a, a work of art in itself, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. It's a labyrinth uh, full of all of his many pieces. He's crazy prolific um and you can just kind of get lost in there you know one thing links to another another links to another etc 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 and you can just kind of stay trapped in his uh, maze forever but let's start with talking about who peter oblinger is so Mm -hmm. peter oblinger is an austrian-born composer and was he born how old is this guy he was he was born in 1959 so Mm -hmm. he's like you know um, he's 62 yeah. yeah, he's a he's a he's a baby boomer. Yeah, um, except uh, in Austria, maybe they don't don't call them baby boomers, um, mm. <laughs> because of uh, Nazis. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. um, but yeah, so he is of an, a slightly older generation, um, and he is not uh, exactly affiliated with them, but he I think exists musicologically right alongside. Uh, a group called Vondelweiser. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, do you want to give us, Georg, a little bit of a kind of background on what Vondelweiser is? I mean, it's a publishing and record company, uh, and, and I, it's called Bukert Schlothauser and Anton Brugger, who kind of founded it in 1992, and it's now like an ever-growing collective of people who basically are affiliated with or take part in publishing on that record company. Um, I mean, I maybe the, the the biggest name is maybe Jörg Frey. Yeah, probably Jörg Frey, Antoine Brugger, uh-huh. and then also I think maybe here in the States, Michael Pizarro. Of course. Um, one of the only kind of 
I, I think is one of the m main U.S. Mm -hmm. um, components of Vandalizer. Mm -hmm. And there is like, you know, like kind of an overall aesthetic preference or aesthetic that's uh, loosely kind of connects all these uh, recordings. And that is like the shared interest of silence. And there are a lot, lot of like durational pieces. There are long extended pieces often. Um, and I mean, with kind of ideas that we can go into, but I mean, um, date back to aleatoric music in many ways, or the, the experimental music of, yeah, of America and and maybe some european as well but mainly maybe the 60s 70s influences from experimental music in america yeah definitely i think i think they definitely grow out of like a post cajun mm -hmm. um kind of uh fluxus but like a, a maybe a european tinted fluxus um yeah and it's of... exciting they are releasing young composers um, and I've recently like listened to some of the newest albums of theirs and there's like composers younger than me even and have some beautiful pieces coming out so it's uh, it's worth w worth checking out uh, for those who yeah. don't don't uh, know and haven't checked them out this is wonderful music a lot of this yeah, definitely. And, and again, um, you know, Avinger uh, isn't necessarily affiliated. It, it, like Jörg said, it's a kind of a loose collective um, where they kind mm -hmm. of just, it's, it's more so that, yeah, they, they share a lot of aesthetic qualities. Um, and so you can kind of, after the fact, kind of tie them to a lot of them together. But also, um, I think a lot of them play concerts together. So it's mm -hmm. like this kind of collective idea where, you know, they play concerts together. But they also, I think a really big, important part of Vandalizer is uh, they write about each other a lot. They, they, they like kind of mm -hmm. contextualize each other's music a lot. And so I think that's kind of where Alinger comes in too, is that maybe he hasn't been kind of, let's say, more strictly affiliated with Vandalizer, but he and people in Vandalizer have written a lot about each other. Mm -hmm. I know I, I learned a lot about Alinger kind of through Michael Pizarro's writing. Mm -hmm. um, and they're kind of historicizing about each other I think has mm -hmm. kind of bound them up um, together for sure yeah. so but Peter Applinger himself as we said he is like an Austrian born composer and he has lived now like in Berlin since you know the 80s or late 70s um, and he he studied piano and played a lot in like jazz groups, free jazz and all kinds of jazz uh, and studied graphic design. He really is coming to experimental music, I think, as a graphic designer. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, we can we can maybe uh, address this more fully when we really get into the piece. But this is, a, a, I think, a perfect piece to show um, that kind of uh, connection, mm -hmm. I think a lot of his ideas almost start from a, a visual place mm -hmm. and uh you know i've s seen both other people write about his work and, and himself kind of discussed how in, in a way you know a lot of again his pieces but also i think final visor pieces, pieces at large kind of fall into this situation of maybe being somewhere between 
it, you know, again, categories are, are loose and put on kind of after the fact, but you can maybe kind of think about contextualizing it inside of maybe a field such as like sound art, mm-hmm. um, which I think uh, kind of is something that it sits right on the edge between visual art cultures um, and also, you know, music performance cultures. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think especially for Oblinger's work, it's almost like he is thinking about it, seems to be thinking about it as a visual artist or as a graphic designer, but the, the way that the work comes about is kind of like through sound. So sound is, is, the, is the medium for his, mm-hmm. for his art. Almost in that kind of, you know, some artist's medium is painting or oil, you know, stuff like that. And I think this is super important, like, you know, listening to or finding a way into this piece. This is borderline visual art trying to be translated into sound. Mm -hmm. And you, you can't approach it in the same way that you would do with a normal piece. Right. Totally. Yeah, and I think um, that there are several interesting things to uh, one can read about this piece. Um, and we'll definitely link to a few of the articles, you know, that we're kind of using to reference from. But one, um, a couple of things that, that Oblinger has kind of said himself um, in regards to his own work at, at large, but also this piece even specifically that I think is really important um, that goes to the thing George was just discussing um is he has kind of a i think pizarro called it a manifesto uh mm-hmm. called uh how do you pronounce it in german metaphern metaphor um is mm-hmm. how it's translated in yeah. uh, in german mm-hmm. and uh it's, it's available on his website in german at least um and he says this is uh, uh excuse me i mean georg knows german <laughs> so i could have asked him to translate it but this is a google translation so excuse me for this but he says it is no longer possible for me to hear a sound without seeing an image and vice versa. Hardly have I ever sketched the idea for a piece, not as a drawing or image. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that shows, yeah, that there is kind of this, that, that there's just this kind of uh, fundamental connection between the two. And we'll get mm-hmm. more into the score uh, later on in the podcast. Um, but just to say real quick, the way the score starts is there's literally a there is this kind of the sketch idea for the piece, which, um, mm-hmm. you know, again, we can talk about a little bit more, but you can just, it's almost like there's a contained just sketch idea for the piece. And then mm-hmm. it, it, he calls it a diagram in the score. And then the piece is actually notated fully out in, in fairly traditional Western notation um, after that. But it definitely start. you can definitely tell that it started from this diagram or this sketch and then just kind of got turned into sound. And I think mm-hmm. that's a big uh, yeah, part of a lot of his work for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even thinking about the the name of the piece, right? Weichweichli. So in mm-hmm. German, that means white whitish. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's another uh, kind of quote that he talks about that I thought was really interesting and important for this. Um, the name of Weichweichli cycle does not just indicate the fine differentiation of one white from another. It also refers to the difference between white and the perception of white. Mm-hmm. I stood in front of a painting made up of only vertical light gray stripes, no more than two different shades of gray, alternating with complete regularity. The piece I sketched afterwards, and notice how he says sketched, mm-hmm. um, as, as if it, he's also putting together a painting, mm-hmm. consisted of nothing more than a repeated regular alternation 
between 40 seconds of silence and 40 seconds of near silence. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until many years later that I finally found out it had been a painting by I Miss Martin. Um, mm -hmm. And so again, that just shows the clear connection to visual art, even just the name, you know, the name, right? He, it's mm -hmm. all about color. Um, mm -hmm. And definitely that, that quote already, that, that, that's a good kind of sum up of what, the, yeah, yeah. even, even just this number four, you know, again, there's 30 or so of these, even just this number four, that, that's basically what this piece is too. It's, mm -hmm. there's some kind of a, 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 there's some kind of an alternation between two things. Mm -hmm. You know, it may not be 40 seconds of silence exactly, 40 seconds of near silence, mm -hmm. but there are these kind of just small shades of different differences of the same, I think is a big part of this. Mm -hmm. And then he also mentioned in that kind of uh, quote as well, the word perception, which I think is really an important part of his work and definitely of this piece. On that note, yeah. let's let's talk about like our perception of listening to it. There are many versions of of recordings of the piece, and mm -hmm. again, in that kind of experimental tradition, there are many kinds of different outcomes that could occur. So mm -hmm. there's no kind of definitive recording. Uh, I know I listened to a recording that you can find on Spotify. It's of Oblinger him, himself and um, playing it with a friend, mm -hmm. um, and so it's on this album called Danish Border. Um, mm -hmm. So that's the, that's the one we'll be linking to, but there are many ones you can find on YouTube with different performances. And mm -hmm. So yeah, let's talk uh, about so our perception. Yeah, that was the one I listened to as well. Peter Applinger with Sven Age Johansson, mm -hmm. who I think is a percussionist. Yeah, it's a short track. It's like four and a half minutes, um, mm -hmm. you know, played by them at least. Again, it could be yeah. variable. But. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, this is like, I don't know if you've, uh, I mean, I, I was listening to it on my bike the other day and I realized like, you know, I had it on repeat and <laughs> hearing it uh, again and again, each kind of uh, repetition of the same material, it comes back yeah, and it comes totally. back. These are so square and then, like, then you get the different silences between or you know the yeah uh, it worked for me like kind of like i wasn't sure when i was beginning again mm -hmm. i right. totally lost track of what the beginning was and what the end was, was. Yeah. yeah yeah so for me this could you know almost be like an installation like the uh, beginning right. uh -huh. the, the beginning doesn't matter and the end really doesn't matter in a way uh, yeah. So it could be go on in like a gallery for on and on and on. Right. Um, Just in the sense of a, a, a painting, like you talked about these rectangular mm -hmm. grids. 
Yeah. He kind of had to pick a, essentially somewhat an, of an arbitrary amount of, of them, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. that's what it sounds like. It's like for visual art, it, it doesn't work like an installation does in the sense that you could the recording could right like mm-hmm. you could play yeah. the recording in a gallery and let it loop mm-hmm. i think is yeah, what you're saying. yeah yeah but um the uh a live performance i guess in a way kind of could too but thinking about it just yeah i'm just thinking about it as a visual art piece mm-hmm. a visual artist has to pick a certain number of the rectangles to choose yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. say that that's yeah. what it is you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. um and you you mentioned that before um as well and we talked about that a little bit before and it made me think of uh Pizarro wrote this kind of Vondelweiser history uh, kind of article talking about their history in a few in a few pages. Mm. And I thought um, when you mentioned that before, I thought mm-hmm. of this because he was talking about a Christian Wolf piece that Vondelweiser people recorded. And um, he was saying exactly the same thing that you brought up about the Oblinger, which I thought was really interesting. He was saying, um, let's see, uh, he was kind of talking mm. about like, how do you use a recording like this? And there he was kind of saying there there are kind of multiple different ways that you could use it, right? Like, I think definitely one version of it could be mm-hmm. at a performance, you just get it from one end to the other, right? And that could be fine. But then when you record it, you could also listen to mm-hmm. it like as an idealized performance, mm-hmm. right? You could just listen from one end to the other. Or you could do this thing he talks mm-hmm. about that he did with the Christian Wolf piece. You could just yeah. turn it on on your stereo system or in your headphones while you're biking and just let it play and then just let it loop all, all day and mm-hmm. like kind of notice as you fade in and out of it. Um, and that could be an interesting thing too, right? Like you can kind of come in, come in for a little bit, come out of it for a little yeah. bit. Um, and so, you know, you could play it at a low volume Definitely. and just kind of like, it could just be kind of your environment um, or you mm-hmm. could blast it and really hear like all that yeah. fine detail with it too. And I think that speaks kind of to the, Again, the vice vice league kind of idea of these kind of two different shades that you could either be on one side or the other. Or you could be kind of in between. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's mm-hmm. it, it's interesting because it doesn't have many elements. But I kind of think of it though as like kind of uh, the four elements playing in the mm-hmm. whole piece, which is like on the of course in the kind of center part the piano with the scale. And then you have the the background noise or which is like a cityscape almost uh, and, and that brings me back to Boston University's <laughs> concert hall yeah. when you could hear <laughs> when yeah. you could hear almost the train go by uh, and, and like that was like it's and I know like he has been in other pieces he 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 loves cities and he has right, often yeah. often had like cityscapes and and, and field field recordings um, so uh, so that's kind of the cityscape, but he, then there is, of course, the percussionist who is basically, I think, like with a yarn brush or something, like almost coloring sometimes the white noise or the background noise. And 
it's funny because in the recording it's just the two people, right? But yeah, yeah, but like yeah, it, it's essentially these two elements. But it, 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 and again, we'll get to the score. But in the score, it literally says it should be piano and ensemble. So it says mm-hmm. so again. There are these two things, but the ensemble mm-hmm. says piano and at least five players, variable okay. instrument, instrumentation. So yeah, yeah, yeah. theoretically, it, you know, it is instrumentalist and it is or, or players of something, and it is a, mm-hmm. a group. But they're supposed to be creating some kind of a noise as a group, mm-hmm. like you said, right? But yeah, seemingly, yeah. you know, he, he did it with two people. You could do it with two people. It's, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. So and 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 then there is like I I mean like because we are thinking about it as uh, comparing it a little bit to painting or mm-hmm. fine art, mm-hmm. and then there is like uh, the screaming absence of noise. When the when the noise or the city has uh, the background noise has been going on for some time, and when it's taken away, right. they uh, those I mean those uh, silences or the the absence becomes like a such a strong element. Yeah, it almost becomes uh, like a noise in itself in a way. You have yeah, like, yeah. It makes it helps you notice this kind of ground floor mm-hmm. kind of noise. And that's so. Happening. So, so connecting to to fine arts, that's what you call like the negative space mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in a painting, where right. you see like the, you know the 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 white behind the white, right. or yeah, you know. So, so that totally makes sense in in, right. in this music, of course. Um, right, and we don't need to get necessarily too deep into it here, but we'll link to the articles, and he talks a lot about exactly that and as his, his idea of. And his idea of that, uh, which is kind of means noise, um, mm-hmm. is exactly what Georg was just mentioning. This, this, uh, it's this kind of noise type of thing, but it's not just noise, um, kind of as a commodity. It's it's almost like ontological noise. It's like mm-hmm. this noise that makes you realize your listening so there's all these quotes mm-hmm. from you know these articles we can we can link to um by evan johnson and uh, i think christian scheib um mm-hmm. and obliger himself where they're talking about rauschen as this listening to listening type mm-hmm. of thing and it means like also like when he refers to like noise of the natural world right yeah exactly and, you know that's like like waterfalls <laughs> And I remember I met him once at uh, in Italy, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Composite uh-huh. Festival right. music, I had lesson with him, but I also talked a lot with him. Mm-hmm. It was nice. Uh, but he um, there, he got an, into an argument about <laughs> <laughs> with uh, with uh, Pierluigi oh, Bellone. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. They were talking about like field recordings and oh. uh, um, you know and the, like the noise of the natural world. Ah, what was the argument? I I think I I don't want to be misquoted on that, but <laughs> I, uh, but, uh, I, I remember him ex- like talking about like you know the the problems about recording uh, wind, different wind oh. in different. Uh, 
And I think basically Bilone was like, why? Why do you want to record the wind? <laughs> uh, I mean, they were so different. Yeah. And it was so funny to have those two guys together. together right. but, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and it's interesting yeah. too. Um, I, I think that Russian, the Russian idea um, it is about... It, it, it kind of just what you were talking about it's, it is natural sound but it, I think maybe maybe you know he would disagree with this I think it's also like it's sound of the world it's like found sound mm-hmm. which links up to shoulder mm-hmm. quarters because it could be we could say city noise I think is uh, mm-hmm. it could be a, a form of Rauschen as well mm-hmm. um, and that you know we can then even and many of his pieces do exactly this we can emulate those kinds of Rausch as instrumentalists in a way mm-hmm. um, and I think you know that's exactly what happens here I, I think there's definitely a, a version of this piece where especially since he kind of gives by doing this recording he kind of gives leniency to do with two people I think you would have one person simply at a computer just playing space bar on a field recording mm-hmm. to be honest I mean I think that, yeah, that, yeah I think that probably would be pretty fair to be honest um, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. that would work as well yeah. but you know at the same time on the other side of the spectrum you could have as he says five or six you know violin players making a little mm-hmm. creaky noise or something like that you know mm-hmm. I think it's that that's cool. pretty open and variable again I think his music so ties back to perception of perception it's all about like mm-hmm. how we are kind of hearing ourselves hearing something or seeing ourselves mm-hmm. seeing something and this mm-hmm. um, you know he even talks about uh, with back to his idea of Rauschen um, mm-hmm. he kind of uh, wrote about this um, this experience of his again with with nature sounds where he was in a cornfield in Vienna outside of Vienna and he had this kind of epiphany moment where he heard the rustling of the corn or something like that and it did this thing where he says, quote, translation quote, um, it caused this jerking open of his perception. And I think that mm-hmm. that's a, uh, you know, definitely ties in here too, because the piece ends kind of abruptly, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it's just a sharp cut off. And so I think yeah. it's almost like the piece, and, and this is something that happens with all kind of performance too, where there is this kind of debt, it, maybe what you would call it negative space like you did for visual art mm-hmm. where the you know you know this moment where the piece ends it sometimes rings out sometimes it doesn't and mm-hmm. you wait and we no one wants to i mean oftentimes a lot of especially with classical music and we're kind of trained for this in a way you don't you're not going to like end the piece and go mm-hmm. start yeah, clapping yeah. you know um mm-hmm. you let the sound kind of die or you let this negative space fill in and you let the room mm-hmm. noise kind of come up and mm-hmm. then, okay, the piece and end scene, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so it's almost like mm-hmm. this is a clear instance where I, I feel like, it's, and maybe this comes also from having uh, performed it, where that almost is a part of the piece. It's a thing where when the piece ends, all of a sudden this third almost component of the piece comes, which is just maybe gets back to these, you know, Cajun 433 ideas where you all mm-hmm. of a sudden notice this third sound which is not the piano it's not the noise ensemble it's the, mm-hmm. the room itself or yeah, yeah. A, everyone all of us breathing together or the radiate or mm-hmm. or at bu there is this the subway like you said right like yeah and that kind of like jerks you open to be like oh like you hear the room it, the piece almost mm-hmm. makes you hear the room in a different way you know so, mm-hmm. so I, I feel like it's almost a 
an extension of 433 in that way where it, it does a, a thing, then jerks you open to being like, oh, wow, um, mm-hmm. that, that's that I, I've just been really focused on my listening um, for, you know, the past four minutes or something like that. I think it's mm-hmm. really interesting. So, like, we can talk a little bit about the piano because it's it has this like rising scale all the time. Yeah, and I I, I don't know like I, uh, I can't remember in the score, but uh, around like a minute into it, uh, there is this like moment. Copy that as well. It's on page four of the PDF. Um, okay. You'll see it like in the second line uh, in mm-hmm. between, between, between the top two lines. Because it seems like an important moment, but yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's funny because um, you know, looking at it again just from the graphic design angle, like just looking at the diagram, theoretically, and I think it's something he's interested in too. Theoretically, they're all it's all it's all about repetition in a way. Mm-hmm. Like if theoretically, it's all. The piano is just doing this gradual linear shape, mm-hmm. right? It's just going up. Mm-hmm. But, but that's only theoretically. In reality, you know, even if you look at the diagram, I think something he's really interested in that I, I find crazy fascinating is that, you know, even, even if you look at the diagram, it's the same, but it's not the same, right? Like, mm-hmm. each, if you look at each of the individual dots, these dots as they go up, and you compare one dot, you know, maybe the third dot, every third dot, each one mm-hmm. is just like a little bit different because they're drawn by hand, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so you get this little fleck here and fleck here. And so he he almost translates that into a sonic idea too. I think yeah, A, yeah, yeah. with this idea of, in the score he, he writes for the pianist to play only with the second finger of the right hand, um, <laughs> and as yeah. quietly as possible to even almost with more so the goal of not letting it sound actually so mm-hmm. so if it sounds cool if it doesn't sound maybe even better yeah, um, yeah. And so it, it provides this instability and i think it's almost like a translation mm-hmm. of that handwriting where you're writing the same mm-hmm. thing over and over again and it's just slightly different each time it allows mm-hmm. that, that repetition to be a little bit different every single time and i mm-hmm. i kind of think maybe those moments like you said with the are, are are somewhat of a similar thing where each one mm-hmm. just reminds you that each yeah maybe it's like a maybe a slip of the pen or something like mm-hmm. that each, each yeah, one yeah, just yeah. tells you that each one's just a little bit different there's something a little bit different in each one you know mm-hmm. maybe, maybe so you still like copy kind of, on one of them you know yeah yeah, yeah. it's super like it, it keeps it it's like organic quality somehow yeah, or like you know it's it's repetition but it's not it's not machine repetition yeah yeah and you can see like in the score later we'll talk about where he draws some notes a little bit longer and just like our handwriting would i mean we couldn't replicate each dot and each line exactly the same right and and it's beautiful and the piece what i noticed it's like you start listening for the moments when the kind of the scale or the piano uh, fades into or kind of climbs into uh, the noise and kind of disappears for a, a little while. You can barely hear the hammers, but you can't hear the pitches. And and then, you know, when it comes down and starts the kind of cycle again, it becomes super clear again. 
Um, so it has a lot of like, you know, yeah, yeah. beautiful yeah. organic moment that kind of like are probably different between uh, different performances, but uh, definitely, uh, definitely kind of thought out from different pianos. Yeah, piano, yeah, right. And players and and moments and you know so. Uh, I think that's something that's really inherent and something that he thought about while kind of conceiving the piece as well. One thing I was even even just thinking about a minute ago is, and maybe this is a, a, a weird way to put it, but I'm just kind of curious about exploring it a little bit, is I wonder if in a way maybe there is this, maybe to kind of uh, make it into a bigger narrative. You know, when we think about repetition, I think what we often think about is this machine repetition which I think mm -hmm. leads us, and when thinking about it with music, you know, it leads us into thinking about craft work, which then leads us to thinking about uh, the development of techno and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, even, you know, we could even maybe trace that back uh, pre craft work and, and thinking about, um, you know, early uh, electronic music with Perez um, or Solo and whatnot, trying to replicate these machine sounds. Um, and that kind of uh, repetition, yeah, involves this kind of perfect repetition is kind of the interesting thing about it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So in a way, this is almost like, this. it's kind of taking from that same world, but then it turns on it and becomes kind of an anti-techno in a way where it uses, mm -hmm. it yeah, uses yeah. Re repetition in a very similar way where it is these blocks, I think, I think uh, genres like techno and whatnot have the similar things where it has these big mm -hmm. re rectangular slabs, these big blocks. Mm -hmm. But his is a is a is a slab of tile that is flecked with stuff on it. You know, it's it's mm -hmm. shaved a little bit, it's carved a little bit instead of like mm -hmm. it's not it's not a uh, it's not a um, Donald Judd piece where it's this big minimalist block that's supposed to be exact machine like it's supposed to be exactly mm -hmm. smooth it's supposed to be exactly the same it, it um so i feel like it kind of veers from that it actually even reminds me of and maybe i'm a little sway because i've been just listening to his music a lot and um kind of it's something i show to my uh electronic music students a lot is uh you know burials music um mm -hmm. i think in a way is kind of like that similar it, it, it's again maybe almost techno but it's kind of anti-techno and maybe post-techno <laughs> in a way where you know yeah. even just thinking about uh he does kind of a similar thing where instead of using a drum machine or instead of uh he doesn't quantize anything at all and so everything is literally hand hand built every beat is placed mm -hmm. not not in a grid it's like Music mm -hmm. for grids that purposely tries to just like whoop, take the grid right off mm -hmm. of it, you know, and, and tries to place that kind of human element on top of some kind of a repetitive grid structure. Um, mm -hmm. So there you go. Uh, uh, Peter Ominger is actually, we wondered who Burial is. <laughs> it's Peter Ominger. <laughs> that, that would be a good reveal. Also, for all you. Uh, composition students listening i think this is a like a kind of a textbook example as well of how to kind of like fully notate like you know this isn't a graphic score it's not a, a text score how to like use western notation and kind of fully notate it and you know like again we'll get to the score a little bit more in depth maybe a little bit later but 
it you know it moves from three sixteen time, four sixteen time, and all this stuff. Anyways, it's it's very detailed score, but it's mm-hmm. detailed in the way where um, it it allows and actually necessitates this kinds of, these kinds of uh, this kind of difference to happen mm-hmm. and these kinds of accident but not so accident things to to occur and I you know I think it's just a, a great kind of example of that mm-hmm. uh, kind of composition this is from one of the articles that we'll reference uh, I'll link to by uh, Barrett called silent network it talks about Vondelizer stuff is and how it kind of comes out of it is kind of this post KG and aesthetics um, and so I think this piece holds up in that way where it involves indeterminacy and indeterminacy mm-hmm. is not to be confused with aleatory, with randomness, with chance. They kind of all have similar things, but they're all just slightly different, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So indeterminacy, as it says in the bear, I'll just quote, the term cage used to define the breakdown of the relationship between the score and the sounding result of a work. Suggests a shift mm-hmm. in focus from the composer of a determinate musical work to the listener who witnesses the unfolding of a process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, again, that plays out in this where it is super highly notated and has all the stuff, but because of, he adds that kind of unstable element of the playing it this way, this physical element, mm-hmm. A, and then also, you know, you're interacting with the piano in that way, there is an instability where, again, every piece, every, as, as you said, Georg, every recording is going to be different, every performance mm-hmm. of it is going to be different, every block while written similarly is going to be a little bit different and every time it's on a different piano even with the same pianist it's going to be different um Mm -hmm. so you know that this definitely ties into those kind of indeterminate aesthetics i don't know if he used chance operations to decide any of those weird timings maybe he did maybe he didn't um i i really don't know about how he he chose the minute kind of details of things um Mm -hmm. So, you know, theoretically, we can say maybe that piece isn't random um, no. and uh, isn't based on something else, let's say, or like, you know, in the cage way of maybe mapping out a star chart or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it involves this one kind of element of cage, cages uh, kind of aesthetics. Um, I, I wondered if you real if, if this came across for you, too, um, about these kind of layering situation with because mm-hmm. we have these two elements right we have the piano that's doing this and even if you look at the graphic mm-hmm. kind of component for this we have this line thing and then you have this you have this uh diagonal line that are in the boxes and then outside of mm-hmm. the boxes you have this horizontal line that's like the noise mm-hmm. right um yeah and i think there's definitely also something interesting happening where um you kind of get to see each part of it a little bit different based on what happened before. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, he also talks about kind of like how the sound is kind of almost an antecedent of the fact that he wants to work with time as an artist. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like what, what it seems to me is that you get this point where the noise comes in and it's been so quiet with the piano, kind of what you were talking about before, where there's this loud silence situation. Mm -hmm. It's been so quiet with the piano that, when that noise comes in, even though it's just like a little yarn thing, if you listen to it loud enough, it's like, oh, <laughs> it's like uh, yeah, something yeah. happens. Mm-hmm. And then when it goes away, you're like, oh, now I'm hearing the piano totally different. You mm-hmm. know, it's almost like thinking mm-hmm. about also kind of white 
how white noise works. And how we mm-hmm. often use it, you know, for kind of masking uh, capabilities with compression and whatnot. Um, you know, we, we can turn on white noise uh, so that we don't hear the baby in the other room or something like that, right? Like mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah or, I mean, it's soothing. Right, soothing <laughs> right. it is soothing baby. too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then you don't have to hear it. You know, we can hide things in the white noise. And so mm-hmm. then the piano kind of gets this thing where now we're hearing it almost filtered through the white noise. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, the, the white noise goes away, and all of a sudden we're hearing, we're perceiving the piano, I think, totally new, totally different, mm-hmm. almost like almost like cleaned on the other side. Like you wash it in the white mm-hmm. noise, and then it comes yeah, out yeah, the other yeah, side, yeah. and it's fresh now, you know? Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, and uh, like, you know, and that's what it happens when it kind of disappears into, mm-hmm. uh, into the noise, and then like when it starts, it's, it's so strong somehow, although it's like all right, all kind of soft, soft, but it's just the presence is so, right. so much more. And, and, and similar to that, too, I think, and also tying back to the visual art thing, I, I think part of me imagines almost this piece again as a visual art piece where it is these this white and this off white almost blocks, maybe mm-hmm. C- mm-hmm. block construction, maybe like a collage type of thing placed mm-hmm. on a placed on a canvas where from a distance mm-hmm. if you're far away enough you know like i wonder i hadn't listened to it on little airpods uh while on my bike let's say yeah. and, I, and i and i wonder if it maybe is a thing where from that almost perspective you're almost you're almost the 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 person who has entered the gallery and sees the piece across the mm-hmm. the hall far mm-hmm. down and you can see that something's there and you can maybe make out something about it but, and it maybe forms a thing, but you really have mm-hmm. to get like almost up close into the work to see, oh, I see this is a little different Definitely. color than this one, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and the cool thing about like riding the bike, because like you are in the city riding the bike yeah, and like, you, there mm-hmm. is already a lot of noise around <laughs> you. So right. it's, uh, you know, I was never sure what was the actual noise and what was right. the noise around me? Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> that was kind of kind of dangerous for the for the bike, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but uh, I mean, for me, it's such an interesting like, what would be the the perfect performance situation for a piece mm-hmm. like this, mm-hmm. and make me wonder, like, you know, is it something like I know some of these vice weislich are basically also like kind of uh, partly theater pieces. Yeah, this, right. this, uh-huh. this not. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like there is uh, sometimes some movement involved, and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and some of them are like have a visual component component mm-hmm. as well. Right. Uh, this one not. Uh, but I was thinking if if that was something that he wanted to have people here in the concert right. hall or more like you know just the casual uh berlin ga- gallery situation or right yeah that, that does make me think also what you said about the looping i kind of i kind of want to maybe reach out to him and ask him about this because i kind of think it could be an interesting version of the piece to do mm-hmm. like what, it, what what if you did i mean of course you could put the recording on for a, a long time and loop that very easily but I think mm-hmm. again with the inconsistencies of repetition, I think it, there could be a really interesting version of it where 
maybe you play it as humans in an actual performance mm-hmm. for an hour. What if you loop it for an hour as humans? Yeah, why um, why don't you go all the way like Ragnar Kartansson, yeah, the Icelandic six, six uh, hours, whatever. So, yeah, like twelve hours. Twelve and, hours, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think you totally could, and I think it would be a maybe interesting uh, experience. I mean, a it would be an interesting experience for the performers, right? Mm-hmm. Like you would have to be in this trance like mm-hmm. state situation. Um, mm-hmm. But even for the uh, listeners, I think there's no one idealized state for them as well. I think it could mm-hmm. be a thing where, you know, maybe you get one or two freaks who want to sit through all 12 hours. And that's, again, for them mm-hmm. also a trance like, you know, crazy experience. But I think it could just be an interesting thing, too, where, again, thinking about it as, as you said, as an installation, people could come mm-hmm. and go and hear different parts of it and come mm-hmm. check out what's different about it now as the performers are getting tired yeah i mean it should be like an orthodox uh, orthodox mess <laughs> yeah. uh, where you go go out for a smoke and right. uh, and come yeah. back in and mm-hmm. uh, totally. and i, I think, think totally that's yeah you know you get two three cycles of the piece right. and then you go out and right you know well maybe we'll have to do that when i come to berlin mm-hmm. we'll have to, we'll have to mm-hmm. do a berlin version of it we'll, we'll, we'll stage a, a 12 hour version of it We'll, a- we'll ask him we'll, we'll go visit him in berlin and ask yeah, him yeah, yeah. If, if he's cool with that and then we'll stage it in berlin i think that could be cool cool uh, nice should we talk about the score or? um yeah let, let, let's talk, let's ex- talk about the score a little bit um i mean we, we've mentioned it uh a little bit here and there but maybe just real quick for those of you who maybe don't want to look at the score um I'll just say real quick, read essentially what the kind of notes are for the piece um, mm-hmm. that kind of lead up to it, that gives you a sense of what it is and how to play it in a way. Um, so uh, it says, for the ensemble, essentially there are 40-second sounds, almost silence. Um, you can compare it to Vice Vice three. All these pieces are also kind of... He, he's such an interesting case study in the kind of idea of series, which I feel like is also such a visual art thing too, right? Mm-hmm. Like you yeah. do like 20 in this, in this series where you're trying to investigate these different things. Anyways, they all relate mm-hmm. to each other. I think that's super interesting. Okay, so you alternate the 40-second sound with 40-second silence, just as he said, the idea of the whole kind of series is. The part is identical with Weisweislicht 2a, but the version here specifies the tempo and also indicates the on and offs of the ensemble. Piano is played uh, pianissimo, PPP, uh, therefore softer than soft, <laughs> such that single tones do not sound. Play with one finger, second finger of the right hand, sempre attacca. Like, always go on to the next thing. Yeah, yeah, never, don't pause in, in mm-hmm. between the things. Yeah. They're, they're, okay. The blocks are, are blocks, but they're sitting right mm-hmm. up against each other. And mm-hmm. I, I think also, again, just looking at the diagram, one mm-hmm. super interesting thing of it is, is that it's almost this combinatorial approach too. Like if you look at where the noise, the noise almost starts right from the beginning. Then mm-hmm. in the second block, the noise kind of ends with the end of that block. The mm-hmm. third block of noise falls right in between the third and fourth line of the piano. The mm-hmm. fourth block of noise starts right at the beginning. The, and then mm-hmm. the fifth block kind of, Oh, like like you said, uh, in the loop kind of way as well. The f- the last block ends noise right at the end of the piece as well. So yeah, it yeah. almost like starts where it left off in a way, um, mm-hmm. which I think mm-hmm. is an interesting construction. And I keep harping on this, but I think it is so fascinating that 
it's almost like the whole series is a meta thing where it's like meta vice vice leagues right like mm-hmm. each series each part of the series is just a little bit different than the last one like he says it's the same as vice vice league three but it this is a little bit different and then four mm-hmm. oh that's the same as this one but a little bit different and then i think if we looked at the score of five it would probably say the same thing like same, yeah, same yeah, as yeah. four but just this little thing is different so it's like different. you could almost see them as these bigger <laughs> constructions that are just slightly different mm-hmm. than each one too um mm-hmm. and then lastly it says that time is kept without stopwatch um coordination one of the ensemble players has a copy of the piano part and shows on and off and i, I played this piece actually uh in uh here in boston with um time zero and uh mm-hmm. you know i think i think another thing it does really well kind of just as a user interface for the player is mm-hmm. that situation where I think that not needing a stopwatch thing is really nice. Um, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, And this showed me a really kind of uh, practical way to kind of make that work. Where again, I think part of it is because it has so few components, it's easy to follow. Mm-hmm. It's easy to follow, right? There are just two mm-hmm. things to keep track of, and you know, there was a pianist, and I was in the noise ensemble, right? So as it, the noise ensemble, you're just watching the piano play, the the or you're listening to the piano play that scale. And mm-hmm. you essentially in the score, if we look at, if we go into the score, the noise is indicated with these kind of arrows that show mm-hmm. when to, ons and offs, basically when to start and where mm-hmm. it li- what note it lines up with, with for the piano and then mm-hmm. an opposite facing arrow of when to stop. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's nice because you can just, you just listen to the piece and follow along with the piano part and just kind of uh, react to that. So I think it, it, mm-hmm. it makes it a very smooth kind of interaction between the, mm-hmm. the players, um, which I find really compelling. And then also, um, you know, another thing that I think is really interesting that I, I didn't notice until I played it, uh, I, I wonder if maybe, I, I've been kind of jaded in a way from the piece from kind of playing it, you know, and those kind mm-hmm. of different interactions that you, you know, notice as a performer instead of a listener. I wonder if you pick this up as a listener, but you know, with the imperceptible thing, the the softer than soft, as you read, mm-hmm. um, many of the notes don't sound, right? So in mm-hmm. the piano, we all of a sudden get all these silences that kind of aren't aren't meant in the sense that it is notated that there should be a, that there's a note there. Um, mm-hmm. And he also has these lines as just, it, it's all the white keys of the piano, right? So it's just a scale going mm-hmm. up. listener we were following along with that scale and i noticed as a as a performer since i was following along with the scale every single note of it and i'm watching every single one when they dropped out and and missed one you kind of Mm -hmm. do this weird thing where you're 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 doing this like kind of telekinesis thing where (laughs) (laughs) you're like imagining almost like how Mm -hmm. how how when you read read a book i think maybe like if someone's reading Mm -hmm. if someone's reading to you out loud let's say when you're in high school, you know, you have to read things out loud. Um, Mm -hmm. You're kind of following along with it. Or even when you're reading Mm -hmm. silently, you know, there's this kind of like voice in your head that's kind of Mm -hmm. reading it. And so there is, it isn't really silent. Reading is never really silent, right? No, no, no. So you're making that noise in your, the sounds in your head. And a similar thing happens here where as you're following along, you know, I'm waiting to play and waiting, it's about to come up. 
I'm I'm kind of filling in those gaps of silence. Mm-hmm. And so you get this situation where the, even the silence is not silence because it's still it's still filled in even when mm-hmm. it even when it is literally silent. Let's say um, yeah, yeah, yeah. even if you even if you played it in an anechoic chamber, you're you're doing this thing. And so it is really silent. You're doing this thing where you have this like internal noise, internal mm-hmm. pitch that comes in while you're playing that kind of fills in those gaps that I thought was Definitely. super interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then there's weird stuff that uh, we were talking about before with even how the piano part is written, right? Like some of the notes are dotted, eighth notes and some of them not. Uh, and then he draws them out. He tries to... Yeah, I mean, even looking at the score as like a visual piece, like it is, he handwrites all his scores, right? So it's mm-hmm. like, it's like this thing where, um, you know, even though notes look the same, even if it's a series of quarter notes, let's say, each of them just like has this visual mm-hmm. difference as well. It's not made on Sibelius, right? Like he, he's making no, no. it and each line yeah, is a little yeah, bit yeah. different. And I think he's almost like, mm-hmm. he's almost exaggerating that with the way that he writes it where it's like you know two quarter notes and they have a 16th note in between so it's five sixteen time and then he moves to mm-hmm. a dotted eighth note that with a 16th note rest and it's four sixteen. so you get all these like almost like wildly unstable things which is more like real or more human than mm-hmm. <laughs> if, if, if you drew like a straight line mm-hmm. um cool uh Bring it home, Georg. Thank you for being with us today. Hopefully, we've uh, made you feel comfortable, and I'm you uh, hopefully <laughs> found <laughs> found some way into this kind of music. Uh, as we said in the beginning, we kind of threw you into the deep end. So next week we'll be on to much puppier things. Uh, it's uh, Bonnie Ver Perth. So that's uh, what we are looking forward to now. You know, this podcast will be a, a mixed bag of things. And hopefully, you know, you get interested and, and introduced to all kinds of music. We cool. live in a postmodern world and that's just the way it goes. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> okay, okay. Cool, cool. Um, thank you so much for listening. signing off next time see you later <laughs> wait i need to formulate